Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Being Amy Winehouse was the best time of my life. She became an alter ego for me in a way. I looked in the mirror and I saw a B-rated Amy Winehouse and I didn't see Dana and that made me happy. Ever wonder what happens when we die? Well, guess what? I figured out a way to communicate with those people. Well, not those people, but the actors and creators who created these incredible iconic characters throughout history. And that's what this show is all about. So pull up a grave. This is Michael Nathanson, and welcome to Playing Dead. On this episode, we have two of my dearest friends, Dana DiLorenzo and Steve Agee. Now, not only is Dana known for portraying badass Kelly Maxwell on Ash vs. Evil Dead, but she also sang as Amy Winehouse in the highly successful tribute band House of Winehouse. And you've probably seen Steve Agee in shows such as Superstore, New Girl, and Peacemaker. But he's here today to talk about his death in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and what it was like to do the motion capture for King Shark in James Gunn's Suicide Squad. But first... She's in one piece. Dana DiLorenzo is in one piece. Are we already recording? <laughs> sure. Just so you know, yeah. I tend, even though I got my start in doing radio commercials and even though I was on the radio, I tend, you know me enough mm-hmm. to know that mm-hmm. I, I really do have a problem controlling the volume of my voice. And whenever I get in front of a mic, I get louder because that's what you do. Really? That's. I, it may look like I know what I'm doing. So Dana's referring to like this thing oh, that's in front of me. you are recording. Maybe, but Dana's referring to this thing that I Dude, have in front I of me. You. I know oh, it's you. fine. It's I fine. Knew. We're just having a conversation. Okay, this weird mm. console in front of me makes it look like I know what I'm doing, but it literally is just set up, and then we're just talking. So I don't know. Like if I, I wouldn't know how necessarily to make you down. Pull well, your see down. those. So this number is four, a, a soundboard. Oh, so it, whenever if mine is going red, oh. that means I'm too hot. I should be at the same level as yeah. All right, there great. Let's just put you back up there. Look at that. It's the first time I touched maybe it. Maybe a maybe a no, maybe a hair, you. just Ooh. one notch oh, below yours. So you, man. <clears throat> Sorry, I thought I was gonna have a second to no. clear my throat and gurgle. Wet your whistle. Hi, everybody. I'm Dana D. Lorenzo, no. and you're listening to the Michael Nathanson Show. Uh, that was the alt alt title. Can you just tell the listening public all about your Amy Winehouse adventures? It's such a long, I, I, I have, also, you're going to have to interrupt me, as you know. Yeah. It's been a minute since, we, since you've talked to me, but if you remember, I never end a sentence. This is why I had to become an actor, so that I knew when to pause and end a sentence. There are no sound bites with me. It's going to be one giant it's like Christopher Walken. run on, uh, yeah. Well, because oh he takes out all the punctuation of every script that but, he gets. But Christopher Walken has a voice and a, and a style of speaking that is interesting. He does. It's weird. I knew it. I don't I, know. I was going to cue you up. A I knew you were going to do it. Dana, it's That's weird. It's been a while. That's great. Okay, so Amy Winehouse is very important to you in your life. Can you just yes. explain... And I will just say, I've heard Dana sing Amy Winehouse. Okay, okay, that's... Stop, and it stop. is no, fucking no. amazing. But okay. just tell us how, like, what you did with that and, like, why and where it led okay. you. Okay, so <clears throat> it was one of those things that happened 
serendipitously and almost pretty much in spite of myself. I'll try and whittle it down. So here are the mile markers. This was 2007, and I will never forget the moment I heard her voice. I was doing my hair in my bathroom, had the TV on, and I heard this voice, and I ran to the TV. I'm like, what is that? And it was they were just announcing Back to Black, and they were advertising on TV. And I missed who it was, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. heard it again. Then I see that it's this little, tiny, Jewish, British girl, like, who had the voice of, like, a Nina Simone or a Sarah Vaughn. Like, it was just, there was, it was, I thought it was something vintage. So, at the time, there wasn't too much that that I could find on her, just, but I was looking, because she had already hit in the UK, obviously. She had had Frank out, that album, her, her first album. And so, I would watch what I could of her, because I was so fascinated, and just m- immediately, madly in love with with who she was, and, and what she sang, and how she sang. And so... Then, I, when I was on the radio at that time, on a nationally syndicated uh, morning radio show called The Man Cow Show out of Chicago, and so we would get guests, celebrity guests coming in to promote whatever, and Twista came in and said to me... Who's Twista? I don't know. Sorry. A music artist. A musical artist. Yes. <laughs> Twista. Um, yes. Got it. Uh, and um, said, you look like a little Amy Winehouse. And I freaked out. And I was like, oh my God, I love her. So then it was right before Halloween. I decided, I was like, I'll just dress. No one's going to know who it is because she really hadn't hit here yet. And so I I went, got all these like silly tattoo, like fake tattoos, put them all over, got a, somehow got like an Elvira wig that I turned into a beehive. And okay. And for the first time in my life, I won a contest. I have yet to win a contest since. It was just a lookalike? Or you no, it was to... a Halloween co- costume Halloween. contest Con- in it, Chicago. Got it. Got it. And and I got up there and it was like by rounds. And of course it was like sexy bee and sexy rabbits and all these things. And so then I get up there and then I got to the next round and then they were all like doing, he was asking people questions or something. So I just grabbed the mic and I said something like, um, oh, you want because having a good time. Well, then fuck off. And, and people must have known her enough to know because the place went wild and I won. And so that then turned into my, you know, I was in a a theater scene there and your friends in theater always need something for a benefit. Um, And so. But but you found your voice suddenly. Well, no, I'd always, my my grandfather was a singer. I grew up like just singing, but I never really had lessons. I did musicals in high school and stuff like that. But through Amy Winehouse, you started singing more. It's interesting how that was yes, like a vessel yes. oh, through which you were able to like sure. find a, a but way I have to... it. It's not like I record an album or anything, but yes, look, I just want to say before I go any further, <laughs> Amy Winehouse, I could go on for two and days about her and the level of talent and the skill that she yeah. has. I am not trying to be humble here. I never would even come close on my best day, but I could fake it. I ended up doing it as a, a karaoke thing for, to raise money at my uh, friend's benefit. And then I had an audition. I was flown out to L.A. for an audition for Mad TV where we had to do impressions, celebrity impressions and right. original characters. And so I did like Amy Winehouse as a preschool teacher, which I just thought was funny. Okay, so I found a clip of you online doing this bit. Can we uh, roll it? Roll it. Is that what we say? Push the button. Cue the sound. Uh, whatever. Here we go. Let's do it. Amy Winehouse as a preschool substitute teacher. So, uh, thanks for having me. It's really cool, really cool. Uh, I'm very maternal. I want to have kids, so they're making me teach this class if I'm fit to be a mother. So, uh, how about a nursery one? Something. I'll sing it, it's what I do. 
Mary had a little lamb, fleece was white as snow. Everywhere that Mary went, she tried to score some blow. You know what? I don't like you either. You're a bunch of wankers, really. How about this for sign language lesson? And then, you know, just two, two middle fingers. Two middle fingers. Yeah. We got it. Anyway, I haven't thought of that in a minute. So anyway, then this guy that was best friends uh, with one of my best friends from college kept saying, you know, Ken, you've met Ken. He loves Amy Winehouse. He plays guitar. He just wants to come over and play with you. You guys could maybe just do some fun gigs at, for his friends at bars. Where I'm like, no, no, no. I, I can't sing like Amy Winehouse. I could fake it with a karaoke machine when the machine is louder than I am. No, I'm not singing Amy Winehouse with a guitar. Let's cut to, he really pursued me hard to do that. In the beginning, first it was just Ken and I, and then it was Ken and a bass and a drummer, Patrick and Charlie, and they would go, bop, 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 bop. They were like, bop, 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 bop. Like they were mouthing the horn, like singing them. And then, weirdly, I was done with the radio show at the time. I had to go back and fill in like a whatever long later. This is what I mean by this all happened in spite of myself. And there was an intern there named Sarah. And she said, hey, you do this Amy Winehouse thing, right? And I said, yeah, well, just sort of, just whatever. And she said, well, my friends play in a James Brown cover band. And, you know, they're always looking for, for gigs. You should co- reach out to them. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I can't afford to pay anybody. But I put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off. And then she had to hound me. Why don't you call my friends? So then I was like, sure, okay, I'll bring these guys in and we'll aud- I'll audition. I don't know. Are they going to really learn it by ear and not really get paid? I'm going to pay them in beer, basically. And holy shit. When I first heard the horns in our rehearsal, I ended up getting three horns. Jen got Jerry and Jay and Ellis. And man, uh, there we were, House of Wine House. And suddenly we were doing little gigs. Again, none of this I'm getting paid for. In Chicago. In Chicago, but it was like, oh, because I just loved performing and I just wanted to do it. And also, I loved Amy Winehouse and I loved pretending to be Amy Winehouse. And when I did it, I I wasn't Dana singing Amy Winehouse. I looked in the mirror and I saw a B-rated Amy Winehouse and I didn't see Dana. And that made me happy. The minute I would hear those drums and then I'd go out, it was like, I'm just going for the ride because I... There's no pressure because, in a way, there was. But it's like, I get to just be her. I full-on would put on the the tats. I ended up finding her tats, exact size replicas from the UK that were 50 bucks a, 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 a set. And it takes... I actually have a video up because I, I actually dressed up as Amy Winehouse for the first time in 10 years this Halloween. But um, I did a little time lapse because uh, it takes like an hour... And 15 minutes to 30 minutes to put on those tats. I never broke character. I studied her anything I can get my hands on. I studied her for so long and so much that I started to even improvise as her. That to this day, if I when I've heard some of the things, I'm like, actually, I think she she would have said that or might have said that. But you Andy Kaufman that. I absolutely. So to the point where like even her, because she was actually really wickedly funny, really funny. This is just a, an example of why I think Amy Winehouse is brilliant. I guess with um, Osborne, what's her name? Um, um, Kelly. Uh, yeah. Kelly. Kelly Osborne. Osborne. And and she would, so Kelly was being cheeky and interviewing Amy, behind, you know, quote unquote, for this documentary. And she's like, Amy, who's your favorite artist? And, uh, and Amy says, without missing a beat, Alice Cooper, she's cool. 
<laughs> like, I just love her. Yeah. So I always felt very safe. That's what it felt like. That alter ego was like there was this switch and it was from the moment of walking back from being backstage when they said, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Amy Winehouse, to then walking on the stage. And it was that moment while just hearing those boom, 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 boom. And when you played festivals like Milwaukee, which was a massive stage, biggest stage I've ever seen in my life or been on in my life. And when you're there, the the drums, like my chat, it was like, like my, I don't know if you've ever been in a concert where it's like that loud, but like you feel the vibration in your chest. It felt like every cell in my body was alive. It was the best, to this day, the best time of my life. If When I die, I want that just to replay. What year did Amy Winehouse pass away? 2011. And so our last show was actually on a rooftop at a high rise in Chicago, a private event. And it was a week before she died, and then she died, and I never did it. I wasn't going to do it again, because I, I, all of a sudden we started getting offers. I'd been working really, really hard. Like I said, I was also working at a bar. I just did it because I loved it, and we started getting some traction and like doing festivals, like opening for Kathy Griffith at Pride Fest, played House of Blues backstage and like the back porch stage, and we had a two-page spread in the Chicago Tribune. Like that was mind blowing to me. So then when she died. That day, that day, like an hour, not even, 15 minutes, we had had a website. And and I got inundated from around the world. Do you want to come do, can you come, can we bring you here? We'll bring you to France, we'll bring you to Germany, we'll bring everybody from everywhere. And I was so just, honestly, it was devastating. Being Amy Winehouse was the best time of my life. And I, I owe so much to her. I, I haven't been able to to do it, even though, like, I feel like there's, um, uh, now would be a, an okay time to do it. I know there's other people who've done it, but I feel like, from what I understand, we were the one of the first, at least in the States. You know what's amazing about what you've been able to do is because the way she wanted to probably affect people is the way you talk about her. That's every artist's dream. And she affected you in that way. And you've been able to carry some of that inspiration through your work, through your energy, through your joy for her music, through your joy for life and through your relationships. And I'm not trying to make you cry. You're going to make me cry. But I'm just saying that like, it's not about, I'm saying, oh, you sound just like her. Isn't that a neat parlor trick? It's like, yeah, because you're talented, but like when you sing and when you are talking about her, that's how she continues to live because she lived way too quick. And so it's a responsibility you have. It's important to have these conversations and also important for people to hear artists talk about other artists in that way and like what affected them and, and why it affected them. And your experience with Amy Winehouse has affected how you do your artistic yeah, work, not just like the singing, but like there's some spirit of that in your acting and your whatever it is, even in your daily life. So anyway, it's important. I agree. So I'm acknowledging you for acknowledging her Thank and you. carrying on some of that really like amazing Thank spirit you. of hers. Now, I could honestly do a whole other podcast on Dana and Amy Winehouse, but due to the name and nature of the show, we are contractually obligated to pivot to her incredible on-screen death. Now, for those unfamiliar with the history of Ash vs. Evil Dead, it's based on the Evil Dead film franchise, which launched the career of writer-director Sam Raimi. Of course, Sam Raimi most recently directed the blockbuster hit, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. 
Bruce Campbell, who played the chainsaw-handed anti-hero Ash Williams in all three of the Evil Dead movies, reprised his most famous role in Ash vs. Evil Dead. Can you bring us to the moment when you first got the audition for Kelly Maxwell in, um, what's that show you were in? What's it called again? Ash vs. Evil Dead. Thank you so much. I just wanted her to say it first. Take us to the moment where, where are you? Again, another thing that really happened in a very serendipitous way in spite of myself. Again, I was here in L.A. Uh, This would have been 2015. And the only backstory that's really relevant is when I was brought here from Chicago, basically, when I signed with my management company. Brought here, kicking and screaming? Yeah, pretty much, because I was like, I I didn't want, no, no, truly, my manager had to be like, because uh, I actually had an offer. I'd booked a one-woman show to travel around called the D-Cup Diaries, actually. I don't remember much more about it, but it was the D-Cup Diaries out of Chicago when I was living in Chicago. But I had booked a, this pilot out here for Fox, um, like a sketch show. It was going to be with, like, Avion Crockett. It was Jamie Foxx produced it. It was going to be... It was like the, the next iteration of Mad TV, basically. Or In Living Color. And so after I did that, I got signed with a manager, and I went back to Chicago. So then he kept saying, you know, you got to get out here. But I was like, you know what? I guess I'll go try it, or whatever. I came in hot. Like, it was... I tested for a pilot my first month out here. I bombed with Larry David. I auditioned for... Kirby Enthusiasm, my boxes from Chicago were not here yet. I didn't have a bed yet. But I bombed in front of my hero, Larry David. So I was doing pretty, like, well considering, I guess. And then nothing happened. So then I had to get a job. I was, at this point, my savings was gone. But I'm like, how am I going to get a job in L.A. while also trying to go on auditions all the time? Like, it was different in Chicago because I'd been there and I'd had kind of carte blanche at the place I'd worked in Chicago. So uh, turns out, again, Ken, who started the band with me, was out here visiting me because we were dating and he was like a minor, like a little celebrity in the craft beer scene and his friends, why am I saying all this? Bottom line is people came to see him and his beer review show and these, this couple, Jimmy and Yumi were like, hey, we're opening a bar. We actually are going to need bartenders. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then I got that job. Okay. But like I was there, it was called Beer Belly in LA. It's no longer there, which is sad, but um. Shout out to Jimmy and Yumi and Beer Belly and all my all my peeps there because I owe a lot to, to all of them because when I got the email audition for Ash vs. Evil Dead, I had just found out a week or two prior that my mom had cancer. And this was the night before she was going to have her very first chemo treatment. And needless to say, nothing in the world mattered to me at this point. It was just your whole world is I'm very close with my family. And it was anyway, just already in a mood. And I was working at Beer Belly and I was going to be closing that night till one or two in the morning. And I remember distinctly, it was like 8.22 because I checked and because auditions would come in the night before a lot of times and that sure. you have to just memorize and learn the next day. And it's too bad if you got a job, you're working till two, figure it out. Well, that's what I had to do for this. So I was basically going to have four hours to sleep and somehow memorize 10 pages of lines. And so when this came in, I was at the POS, like putting in an order just to have an admit And I, the, my coworker Dominic was there and, and I said, God, like, I remember being like, motherfucker, like, of course this comes in tonight, like now, and it's tomorrow, and I'm done, and I, like, I was just in a mood, right? And he goes, oh, what's it for? I'm like, 
oh, evil, evil dead. I'm, I'm like, I read about this. I'm like, they're going to go with Jennifer Lawrence. Because I had read an interview that had, like a while before with Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell were doing this. And then they were like, he was going to maybe have sidekicks. And Bruce said, yeah, well, if, you know, if we did like a female sidekick, I'd want a Jennifer Lawrence type. And I have had enough near misses in this town to know like, I was always the person that was up against the offer, like to bring bring down their rate. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like we're gonna go with the name, uh, but, oh, dang, I've been but there. like where you, it was between and you really and when you're coming up, you're like, oh, it's between me and so and so. There's a hmm. chance. Yeah, no, there's no chance. Anyway, I was worried about my mom, and again, not all of a sudden, none of this shit mattered because I'm like, my yeah. mom is sick, and I, I was just so tired of having a just chaos. So then Dominic's like. Oh, well, you know, he's like, damn, Evil Dead, it's going to be huge. And I go, I know, I'm never going to get it. I'm just so done. I'm so done with everything. And he goes, well, how about I close for you? You can, get, oh, we'll swap. Get out of here at midnight. Get home and go just a, at least get a call back for this. He's like, that would make me so happy. So Dominic, yeah, thank Dominic. you. Thank and you. Uh, I went home. I recorded the lines on my phone. I was already just so exhausted. Woke up. Threw on, you know, you have to get hair and makeup ready. Got there. Um, listened to my lines in the car. I've tried to do this since, has never worked. I listened to my lines in the car on the drive to Santa Monica. I get there and I'm like, hi, okay, I'm here for the audition. And Lauren Gray, cast director, is like, oh, you didn't get the memo? We moved the times till three. <laughs> my team didn't tell me. Okay, so then I go on the beach. I but try also to, great, but great, actually. No, well, and then, right? well, sort of, except that this is all, I feel like part of it. Because then I went to, so then I'm like, I, have, I can't go all the way back home. I have to go back to work tonight. So I went to the beach and called my mom to see how her chemo went. And she she picked up the phone and I thought she was dead. Like it was, it was really traumatizing. And I felt so, I'm like, I can't be here in LA. And I'm sobbing. So all that work I put into my hair and makeup, I go back into the audition, however many hours later that I'd just been just killing time on the beach, crying, thinking like, what am I doing with my life? I have to move home. I have to be there to help. So my parents are small business owners and whatever. And so I booked my flight for the next week to be home in Ohio. I go in and do the audition. I do not give a shit. And I know I'm not going to get it. Which is the best space uh, to do an audition. You, but you can't just turn that nope. on. I've tried to play that game in my I head. Don't know. I don't care about it. Yeah, no. You have to really just not care or know you're not going to get it. Or not or like just be like, yeah. Yeah, Best time whatever. to audition for an actor is when you're experiencing actual trauma. I know, well, clearly it worked. Well, it might have weirdly worked for the show. Yeah, well, um, totally. But so then anyway, the following week, I was actually in Ohio. They had a callback. I'm like, I got a callback for that. Interesting. Um, no, I'm with my mom. It's her, whatever, chemo, blah, blah. And the casting director, Lauren Gray, shout out to you. Thank you. This has never happened to me in all my years. But she said, um, all right, because of your circumstance, I'll, I'll see you on a special, like if you can get here the next day. So she had a special session just for me for a callback. Boom. Now, here's the point where it gets crazy. A week later, still now going through all this, I get a call from my team. Hey, you're screen testing with Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi. That quickly. Boom, boom, boom. Now, I, Michael, you can, uh, you know, I have had commercials where I don't say a friggin' word and it's been 30 callbacks and it's taken a month and a half. Oh, yeah. This was boom, boom, boom. And my team tells me, oh, by the way, so you're going to test. And, you know, you signed your contract ahead of blah, blah, blah. So they were like, oh, and guess what? It shoots in New Zealand. And instead of being completely, which I would have normally been over the moon. I haven't been anywhere. I've always wanted to travel. I, I collapsed in the forearm. I said, I can't do this. I can't. Because you'll can't. be away from your mom. I can't. This was too fresh yeah. with her. And like I said, her and my father are small business owner. I, it was just, I just can't. And um, they're like, well, look. 
You have to. <laughs> so my, I talked to my mom and my mom who always, my mom and dad were again, we're very, uh, very grounding, real parents in the best way. But my mom, it was what my mom had said. So thanks mom. She'd said, look, Dana, we've been down this road how many times with you getting screen tests or, or testing and then getting the part and then the, the show falls apart, whatever. She said, if you actually get this and you have a chance to go to New Zealand, you are going. And she said, don't, what are you going to do here for me? So, and she, and she also like made me laugh. She's like, I mean, come on, Dana, just go enjoy it. And so that really changed it for me where I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm not going to get it. It's okay. And if I get it, well, okay, well. So then I thought, I get to go act with Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi in this screen test. And that's all it was going to be for me. And so I went in there with nothing to lose. I knew how cool this was. So I really went in there 100% like, I'm just going to enjoy being directed by Sam Raimi. But what was the first thing they said to you? What was the first thing Bruce said? He was like, hey, how's it going? I actually have it. I have it all on. Um, is it hidden camera? I, I have it all on camera. I have, I have the, at least the, the test that's oh, with him yeah. and I. Yeah. Very cool. That's, you know, that I, I watch from time to time when I'm nostalgic because I was so, so bright eyed and bushy. Yeah, you were. And so there are nine, 10 producers and all these guys and suits shaking my hand and the cast. Okay, great. And then. I'm talking, and then I see it's Sam Raimi and talking to him. And as I'm talking to him, I don't even know. I was immediately just kind of like, waka waka. I was like, hey, I'm a da 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 but I'm a paisan. But I don't even know what I said. But um, I remember talking to him and looking in his eye. I'm like, God, this guy is all, he's so great. I feel like I'm talking to Sam the butcher from my grocery store. And then he walks away and you, it like hits you and you're like, holy shit, that was Sam Raimi. But that's really what my experience with him was throughout the process, was like, you're talking to him and he's in a suit and he's he's he talks to you like there's no one else. And I don't mean just me. I mean the PAs, I mean the makeup, I mean anybody Sam Raimi talks to and you witness it. It's like, it's you and him. That's it. And I love that about that man. And then he walks away and you're like, oh, wow. But he makes you feel so comfortable. And Bruce, Bruce and I immediately, I think the fr actually the first thing I remember, at least it's on camera, that's why I remember it. The first thing we had to uh, like stand next to each other. And Sam's like, oh, we have to see, we have to make sure that you're, uh, that Bruce is taller than you. And meanwhile, you see us together. I come up to like his hip and um, he goes like, all right, great. Now, now turn and face each other. So we turn to Bruce and Bruce turns to me and he goes, Ugh! and I go, Oh, thanks. Thanks a lot. And he goes, what? It's a horror show. <laughs> like he, so you he, were just bantering like, immediately, in, as the, kind of as the characters. Kind no, of just as also dating. Like, as, I don't know, because also my relationship with Bruce now is still kind of like that where where we can we volley or we or we like to make each other laugh or like. But also it's like it's ball busting, but not really. It's ball busting with like lightheartedness. It's not ever like mean spirit. It's like da 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 ba da ba. Yeah. You know, like, so take, take me to, you get this role. You're like, holy shit. You call your mom. You're like, I'm like weeping on yeah. the, the floor. I, I like when I found out I got it that day, apparently they, I don't know if this is true, but this is what I heard, uh, that they like sent everybody else home that they were going to. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Like that. Which was it again, early in the day? Yeah, it was 10 a.m., but oh, it was, shit. it was just a screen test. I never networked nothing, none of that, which again, I, I'm only saying that because I have had to do a, a bunch of uh, studio tests or, sure. or, or network tests. Yeah. But this is what I'm saying. This is like, just like with the Winehouse. It was like, it was boom, one boom, of those boom, things. one of those things. To so New Zealand. I went to New Zealand. Oh yeah. And I got to be on, like for months, it was like all of a sudden, I mean, and I wouldn't even quit my bar job because I'm like, I'll believe it when I'm there. 
I'll believe it. Like, I guess so many things I'd gotten jobs and then they just never happened. So, yeah, I got to go. A girl from Youngstown, Ohio got to go to and kill fucking fucking demons in New Zealand, Bruce Campbell. You did the show. It was it was three seasons. You know, one season the next. You don't know if it's getting one episode to the next. I did. Yeah. You didn't know if we sure. were going to be killed off. Honestly, we know, you know. But yeah. But also the fact that you're in a show where it's like, yeah, they could they could kill you off at any moment. We didn't get our scripts until the the table read, and every single time that's what I was going to ask you. Did yeah. you not know to episode Never to episode whether you were alive at the, the end the of that day, episode to the to the till the end. And again, it was something I had to like bolster myself up for every time. Like, well, I've had a good run, you know? Yeah. Um, but you're so grateful at that point. You're like, if I got to do the pilot for this show precise, and it didn't get picked up, precisely. you're like, I'm in New Zealand fighting demons with Bruce Campbell and getting and getting to play a character. She's not like you because you are, she, she's- a, She's cool because she's, she's cool. cool and abrasive, but she's abrasive in so a way. So am that, I though. But you're like sweetly abrasive. Mm. She's like scary. She had her moments. She had her very sweet moments. Yeah. Her dead mother put a fork through her father's eye. You know, that'll ruin somebody. There was quite somebody. a bit of death around you at all times on right. that show. And, and then you died. Yes. Fade in. Interior. Ruby Noby's hideout. Day. Kelly Maxwell, sitting on the floor with a bloody nose and a broken ankle, begins to laugh. <laughs> The grenade she just threw at Ruby finally killed the immortal Dark One. Or so she thought. She stops laughing when she sees Ruby's severed hand slowly inching its way past her. Kelly turns around and sees Ruby very much alive, but missing several limbs. As Ruby's severed body parts crawl back and reattach themselves to their owner, Kelly tries to stand assisting herself by using a broken wooden curtain rod with a sharp end. I know it's impossible for a demonic piece of shit like you to understand, but us humans, we get attached to people we love. And when they get fucked over, we want revenge. And I ain't leaving till I get mine. It's gladiator time, bitch. Using the sharp end of the rod, Kelly lunges toward Ruby but Ruby is quick and dodges every attempt. As Kelly struggles to keep her balance, she is shocked to see that Ruby now has the weapon Kelly originally brought to defeat her enemy. The Kandarian Dagger, one of only a few items that can kill an immortal being. Kelly lunges at Ruby, but Ruby is ready and thrusts the dagger into Kelly's gut. Both women fall to the ground, Kelly on top of Ruby. Ruby smiles slightly. Does it hurt? She whispers as she rolls Kelly off her. With the Kandarian dagger protruding from her abdomen, Kelly grunts and gasps as life slowly leaves her body. Your death scene was incredible, but Kelly isn't really completely dead, is she? Because Ruby uses Kelly's body as a vessel for the sorceress Kaya to come back after she'd been imprisoned in the Necronomicon for millennia. Oh, shit, shit, shit. Uh, we've got to pause for a second. Oh, looky here. Our next guest, Steve Agee, just walked into our podcast studio right in the middle of another interview. I could hear this woman down no in the shit, parking right? lot. You could hear her heels clicking. Um, oh you know what? God. I have to pee. Steve Can you guys Agee. talk for a few minutes? Yeah. Yes. I go pee. All right. You guys. Steve. You guys talk. Hi, Steve. Happy birthday again, birthday no, boy. No, no, it's, it's too far gone. 
No, it's never too far gone. When you're in your 50s, it's too far no, gone. No, you look not a day over 35. Look at your cute outfit. I look, as a friend would say, not a day over ancient. I disagree. <laughs> look at you and your fabulousness. Look at you You're and your some... big yellow ring. Oh, my. my... <laughs> it looks like the thing you win at, like, one of those little egg, like, they come in little eggs at the supermarket, but I did actually pay $5 for it. You would... Level somebody if you punched them. With I that. know. Do you want to see what? Do you want to try? No, I don't. Okay. This is not jackass. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, are you here to talk about dying too? Yeah. What have you died in? Ash versus Evil Dead. Okay, I'm back. Uh, yes, uh, I am a very quick peer, uh, but don't worry, I did wash my hands. Anywho, Dana and I were talking about how episode to episode of Ash vs. Evil Dead, she would get to the end of the table read and didn't know whether she was dead by the end of the episode. But then she does die in the show, but yeah. then, like, she's in some place where she's not dead and she has to get rescued. So Which, like, by the way, can I just say for the record, I really, I begged. I said, you you got to let me go. Because I knew, I th feel like, so that was the, the episode six, season three. And the thing was, we had, like, 99% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, but peop we were, the like, one of the most illegally downloaded shows in the oh, world oh, at one no. point beat Game of Thrones. So it was one of those things where like the ratings weren't there, but the ratings were there. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's why every season was written with like a cliffhanger, but also sort of an ending. So that if we came back, great. If we didn't, well, there's sort of an ending. And so when this all happened, because of where Kelly's journey began was she literally says before she kills her first deadite, when I die, I want to go down swinging like that. She, and so this was this epic thing that she was doing for revenge, which is her whole purpose of her journey. And I said, just let her have it. Let her have it for an episode of just being dead at least, you know, I, I but, but. Because they were never planning on killing your character. I don't know, but I never got to be a full deadite, which I'm sad about. I got to be possessed, which man, I'm so grateful for. But I was really looking forward to Kelly the deadite. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that was more of like a thing for the character. I just wanted her to like, mm, go out. Because yeah. I honestly feel like. You know, like uh, Polka Dot Man. Like when Dave dies, uh, Polka Dot Man and Dave Dasmachi yeah, and, and Polka um, Dot Man in Suicide Squad. Yeah, it's like that stays with you. I mean, what a great way to die in that moment. Um, sorry, yeah, spoiler, saves, spoiler well, alert. It's, but, a, uh, it's a big cinematic death. It's it's really it's, great. It's, yeah, it, he was a, f a favorite of everybody. It's a great character. And what a great way to go out is like right at that moment yeah. of like, yeah, I'm a fucking. Pfft. But and, of course, and, he had to go out that way. But but it stays with you, right? I loved Ash vs. Evil Dead. I was very sad when it stopped. But what's amazing is that you got to do the video game. Yeah. And so just tell me a minute about, like, what it was like to, to revisit Kelly in Ash vs. Evil Dead, the video game. Obviously, you came in with the ping pong balls and the green screens. None of that. No, there was no oh. motion capture. Just voice. Mm-hmm. And oh. prior to that, they had actually made the... The avatar—I don't know what you would call the game avatar, the yeah, game character—but yeah, sure. uh, they had they had done it. So then it was like trying to tweak stuff, and then certain stuff couldn't be tweaked, or certain stuff was out because it takes a long time to do you know video games and animation. So it was like, okay, well, can we make sure it's a purple leather jacket? And there's things that were very Kelly. And then I took it upon myself to say, hey, I don't know where this comes in the process, but there are a couple things that were really built up in Kelly's journey and the show that never she never really got to see come to fruition that I. I think I would love to see for her, but I think the fans would really dig it too. So here's a couple of, her, of the, the fan favorite lines. Here's a couple things I, if it works in where we could do, then great. And so that's all I had seen was uh, like a, a five second of thing of 
Kelly running and a little bit of a still of a so face. So the rest so of I, it was you doing voiceover in a booth just on a script. Right. Yeah. And it was, and this was still like pandemic. So it was, you know, in a, in a studio, double pane glass engineer was on the other side and the writer director were on Zoom. And so it's just me in a room. So, um. Did they bring other actors in to work with you in the room? No. So in order to help that, because I'm such a nerd, I definitely went in to the studio in my Kelly Maxwell, one of my favorite wardrobe of of her, like her her jeans, my jeans, the shoes. It was like a leather jacket? It was a purple leather jacket. Well, we had a ton that they hand dyed and made and it was vegan leather. I cannot say enough about our wardrobe department. I love you guys. Uh, But uh, I brought that in the car because I'm like, that might be a little over the top. But I wore like the kinks. Tank. I wore everything down to like the the bras and stuff that they would give me on set to wear like for this outfit, and that was fun. So I was like, look, if I'm I'm just gonna channel her. They were so collaborative. I got to throw in some like, hey, you know, I feel like instead of saying it this way, she'd act. Can we like? Is and I try saying it this way. I'm sure you they know. were thrilled for that. They input. were, yeah, just to make it, you know, um, as Kelly Maxwell yeah, and totally. as honest to the and now thing as possible. You'll be able to play yourself, that is kill yourself a million me. times. You can color people. You can yeah. choose all the ways you can die. And you get to play the Deadites, which you get to play like the bad versions too, the Deadites. Oh, sweet. And it's actually out now and available on all major platforms. Uh, Steve, why don't we cut your interview short and go kill some Deadites? Uh, and I call dibs playing Kelly Maxwell. Yeah, why are you talking to me when Steve Agee yeah, is well, here? You're, I'm, gonna, I'm, you're, next. I'm gonna boot you out in a second. I, I'm gonna boot myself out. It's gonna be a great three-way... Um, mm. Mm. Thruple. Steve and Dana, it's symbiotic that you're all here in one place because we all met at Pensacon. It's a great con in Pensacola, Florida. Super fun. I met Dana at this con and I had been a fan of hers on the show because I was a huge Evil Dead fan for many, many, many years since I was like a kid. And I got to meet you and it was cool. And I was a fan of you because I lo- I think The Punisher was already out, yeah? Because I always felt like Kelly Maxwell and The Punisher, they were spirit animals in a way. Or 100%. I don't, I don't, well, there's a character in season two that has some Kelly Maxwell-ish to her. She's like, Kelly yeah, yeah, Maxwell yeah, yeah, is like yeah, a yeah. 15-year-old, basically. Yes. But I'm glad I met you and I'm so glad, glad that you are still alive. In real life, <laughs> and I, I haven't ended an interview I might that way. But yeah, but. Stand up and be dead when no, I walk out of here. I, I feel like I'm going to die. Of I've never talked this much in my life. That's hard to believe. That is bullshit. Yeah, I call bullshit this much too. without a break. You know what I mean? Mm, I'm so sorry. Double if you, I mean, yeah, double bullshit. So before I let you go, I, I just have to ask: Do you have a favorite death in film and television? My favorite on-screen death. Has got to be from Tim Burton's 1989 Batman, the best Batman, by the way, with Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson in that scene when all the goons and the, the mobsters who are running the city, when they're sitting around the big table, and Jack Nicholson's Joker is, is there meeting with them, and the guy at the head of the table, who Nicholson calls him Tony and Antoine at two separate times, so Tony Antoine, he shakes the Joker's hand, and he gets electrocuted, and he starts just over the top, burning to a crisp, with flames coming out of his shirt collar. And uh, Nicholson says, well, we got a live one here. Nailed that impression. And then the best line, one of my favorite lines at least in, in any movie, is when he's dead in a burnt crisp toast of a human. Um, when Nicholson goes up to him and says, I'm glad you're dead. Oh, it doesn't get any better than that. Yes! Oh, I love that. Deep cuts from Dana. Now, that is such a unique favorite death. 
Thank All you right. so much. You I love you. I hope to. I love you. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, you're amazing. Steve, what a delight you are to see me, to, for me to see you today. <laughs> no, no, that was the phrase. Was like the what a delight for you to see me. Yeah, what a delight for you, Steve. Isn't it delightful my to see you? My brain is shutting down. I love you, boys. Mwah. Have fun. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Steve and Here we go. He's the man. He's got a cardigan on and he's got a plan. So who are you again? Steve Ag. Steve. Ag. Just Steve. By the way, it's Ag. Yeah. Those people who don't know, because there are all these people in my wife's family who are like, "Oh, I love Steve Ag," or "I love Steve Ag." Ag. 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 Aju. It is French, so I think it is actually Ag. I met Steve. I we both Florida. Well, no, that's not where we met. Oh, no, time. no, no. Saguaro, yeah. Doodlehead. Saguaro. Yeah, that the Saguaro. We Palm both Springs. got cast in a movie that we shot in Palm Springs that you can see late night on Showtime or something. I've had people call me, like parents in my community call me and be like, is Michael in like a porno? It looks like and one I, of those, yeah, cinematic, Skinamax yeah. like movies. Yeah. At least that's what the cover art leads you to believe. I'm not... In the poster art. Oh, good for you. But it's all your faces cut out and photoshopped onto like hard bodies and like bikini beach babes and 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 not even done well. Like horrible Photoshop. Yeah. The movie is now called Wedding Swingers. Why? What the fuck does that even mean? I don't know, man. And by the way, the premise of the movie, I should say, yeah. I, I play a sort of a, a successful filmmaker, producer yes. of sci-fi content, and yeah. I'm getting married, and I'm inviting all of my college friends for a reunion to my house in Palm Springs with my new bride to like celebrate, have like a wedding weekend. And it's sort of a throwback to like Blake Edwards' sex comedies. They put us all up in a place called the Saguaro, where it just was like too cool for school. If you didn't have to work, you would wake up still at 8 o'clock in the morning to a DJ in the pool area. Yeah. Just blasting, like, the loudest music, yeah. the and it would be all day. The windows literally were rattling. Yeah. We were sort of forced into this one place, living together for a few weeks, and we all just kind of became friends because we we're like, we can't leave. Yeah. We're supposed to be friends anyway. Yeah, yeah. And Steve and I just bonded over, like, chatting and liking <laughs> to eat food, like, the most yeah. basic human um, yeah. you know, things. Were like The things you bond over. Look, Steve has had a long and varied career. You had a podcast with um, Busy Phillips called yeah. We're Not Doctors, which was like hilarious. Yeah, yeah. You and Busy Phillips basically talking about your hypochondria and then having guests on to talk about their hypochondria. Yeah. But also some real medical shit that people went through. Like Nicole Sullivan having to be put into a coma because she actually caught H1N1 and like almost Crazy. died. Yeah. And then it makes you feel like an idiot for being a hypochondriac because you're like, Oh, people actually do get this shit, and it's not funny, <laughs> you know? No. Real death is not that funny. No. It's just not. Steve did die in something really amazing. He died in Guardians of the Galaxy Part 2. It's that scene where Yondu's, like, killing all the— Wait, wait, wait. Set it up. Set it up properly. You've done a podcast before. Who was Yondu? Like, 
give me a little. Okay, the, so in little. 2012, James Gunn directed a movie <laughs> called Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One. Nope, nope, nope. Wait, I'm gonna put you on. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. The Ravagers. I don't know where we're going with. That's fine. So he's part of the Ravagers, who are like the badass guys like who like space raised, pirates, and they yeah. raised Star Lord, who is. Yeah. The main dude. And Michael Rooker is the head of the Ravagers, and there's kind of a rebellion in volume two, uh, led by Chris Sullivan, Taserface. Right. From This Is Us. By the way, Chris <laughs> Sullivan has come up in like three episodes. Is that true? Well, Stranger Things we talked about. It's just so funny how like oh, certain actors right. have this like weird there are a lot of the Kevin Bacon actors, but some are even more Kevin Bacon than Kevin Bacon. All right, you're part of the Ravagers. There's a revolt led by Chris Sullivan against Michael Rooker. And then Rooker gets out of his little holding cell that they had put him in and goes batshit crazy. And everyone that double-crossed him is killed by his little red arrow that he guides with his That's whistles. Right. That's so fucked up. And it's a lot of, like, multiple kills at once, but I got my own solo on screen. <laughs> Fade in. Interior. Yandu Udanta's M-Ship. Come a little bit closer by Jay and the Americans plays in the background as Yandu's Yaka Arrow flies through the air, piercing and killing the Ravagers who mutinied against him. Jeff, a heavyset man with a large beard and thick-lensed goggles, sits alone in the mess hall completely unaware of the chaos around him. In his hand, he holds a large glass tankard filled to the brim with ale. As he lifts the tankard up to his lips to drink, the Yaka arrow shoots through, shattering the glass and spraying the ale in all directions. Confused, but still holding the tankard handle, Jeff looks into what is now only half a glass, hoping to find either the answer to what just happened, or at the very least, some remaining ale. Unfortunately, the only answer he gets is in the form of the Yaka arrow as it comes whizzing back, piercing his body and knocking him off his chair to his demise. It's this beautiful solo death. It's like all you see on screen is your confusion and your death in that and moment. I am killed and I am blown out of yeah, frame. right. And the way they did that, they could have done it CGI because, you know, with all those characters, they do a 360. But James Gunn's your friend, so he's like, he wanted to fuck with you? Is that basically what happened? No, he was like, <laughs> I think it'll look better if we do it practically. And so they put a harness on. Under, you were fine with this? Yeah, I was like, all right, that's kind of fun. This was like three months after I had wrapped and I had to come back just to shoot this death scene. And they hook all this stuff up and they're like, yeah, we're just going to have like 10 guys <laughs> holding onto the rope and we're just going to pull you out of frame. And the scary it part ten, was 10 guys. <laughs> no, they really wanted to get me out of frame. And they're, the scary part is just knowing that it's coming and trying not to like look like you're bracing to get like your ribs yanked out of your torso. Um, but there was like tons of padding and it was like, Amazing. It was they like really fling you onto a crash pad or something. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we did it like three times and he's like, We got it. And then I was getting ready to leave. Then James is like, I want to film some footage of you afterwards so we can have you still alive if we need you for the next movie. Right. So really quick, we just had me lay down in the corner by, you know, one of the support beams in the spaceship and I'm crying. Mostly because my beer has been exploded. 
But I was supposed to be crying, and they were going to add one of those scenes in the end credits where Zoe Saldana and Karen Gillan are talking. They're you know they play sisters on the show, and they're talking on the spaceship, and they hear someone crying, and then it's supposed to cut to me. So I could have been alive. Wait, did that is that's not on a on a Blu-ray somewhere? It's not. in the gag reel. Okay, okay. When the film came out, he was like, it just didn't make sense. He was like, it was weird. Because, like, you're obviously dead? No, he was just like, it didn't fit the tone because Zoe and Karen were having, like, a touching moment. And then it was just, he was like, "Eh, it just kind of ruined it. And they didn't even use that moment with Zoe and Karen. But that character could easily come back. Like, he could have just, like, explained that away. Like, think about all the ridiculous ways people have died. In, yeah. in those, like, sci-fi things. Like, there's just always a way. He's like, at the very least, we have the footage if yeah, we'll we need to have it. him back. And and I know he always has you on his mind. So you're in the James Gunn world, and then they come out with the first Suicide Squad. And mm, not, you know, telling tales out of school, this is not received particularly well. It had some not issues. Not really, but so, it made a ton of money. So James Gunn gets the offer to, they say, do you want to take over this property? Well, they said, we'll let you do anything you want. And he, James wanted to... Do Suicide Squad. I think one of his things was, with Suicide Squad, anyone can die. Yeah. And that first movie, really only like one of them, <laughs> one of them died or something like that. And James was like, it's the Suicide Squad. Yeah, come on. You got to know that a bunch of them can die. And so he wrote this movie where like 10 guys fucking died at the beginning. <laughs> so what does he call you and say, dude? He, yeah, I was at his house one night and he said, he said, I, I'm doing the Suicide Squad. Before John Economist, the actual live-action bearded guy that I played, he was like, I, I want you to do the motion capture for King Shark. And he's describing King Shark to me. He's like 15 feet tall. Like, he's huge. And James Steve, is like... Steve's a tall guy, everybody. I'm if like you've six, never been, seven. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's tall. And James is like, so I need somebody tall. It's, he's not going to be that tall. He's like, I need... Somebody with comedy chops, you you have a background in comedy. He's like, I think you'd be perfect. He's like, you have, you have a background in comedy, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, I've only done three things with you already, but yeah. yeah. It was a five to six month shoot, most of it in Atlanta, but because it takes place in this fictional island, you know, South American place called Cordo Maltese, they right. needed exteriors. So we went down to Panama for about a month to get the exteriors. So you went to film King Shark first and then went back to do the economist, John Economist stuff? So John Economist is an actual character in the comic books. In right. the comic books, he's the the warden of Bell Reeve Prison. And that's where all the Suicide Squad villains are, are kept, yes. housed. So what when you're in Atlanta playing King Shark... Yeah. What was that like? Because it was like a CGI thing they were going to put over you. It obviously. was just like a what were you spandex like bodysuit. You were in a spandex bodysuit? Yeah. Oh, and a chest, a gigantic oh. foam chest piece. Was it heavy? Yeah. Was it? Did you have a pee hole? No, no, because it was just the chest and it was Velcroed. It was in two pieces and it just kind of sandwiches on you and they Velcro it. Oh. But they made it out of foam and then they sprayed it with this stuff to, to color it gray and... What they didn't realize is after they had sprayed it, it kind of got dense and hardened. And it was like probably about a 40, 45-pound chest piece. It's like a weighted blanket you were yes. basically wearing. They like, come and they're like, we're really sorry. We didn't know this uh, was going to happen. So they made a new one we, uh, like three or four weeks later. Did you have to know all the lines for the character? Yeah, but there's not many. He says like 
five lines in the movie yeah. and it's like four broken words in each line. <laughs> so we do the table read at the very beginning and we had never discussed the voice. I'm just doing motion capture, but we had never discussed because I'm doing all the lines on set. <clears throat> and so in the table read, I just kind of give him ominous deep. Like I was like, he's a giant scary shark. So I'm, I'm me read book like this. And I was like, I think I'm nailing this. And so it does sound very good. And so when we start doing the rehearsals, and then one night James calls me and he's like, that voice isn't working for me. And I was like, okay, what do you think? And he's like, I don't know yet. I'm like, okay. And I have, you know, on the iPhone, you there are like those uh, memojis where you can be like a fox. Yeah, or, yeah, totally. There's also a shark one. So I started texting James shark emojis of me trying funny voices. Like I did <laughs> weird high ones. I was like, maybe it's funny. If he... and he's just like, no, no. And then one day we're rehearsing and he goes, play him like Stallone. He goes like. So that was just something he, he like kind of flippantly came up with. Yeah, I think so. He was like Stallone, but talk even slower. And like, you're really working to get these words. Like you want to impress people with that you can talk in. Wow. And so I talk like this. Me read book. Num num. So I'm doing like my best Stallone. And then that worked. And James was like, that's it. Yeah. And so towards the end of the shoot, you know, Peter Safran, one of the producers, called me. He's like, just so you know, he's like, we've started reaching out to people for voiceover auditions for the shark. Were you hurt? No, but also I was like, oh man, I've gotten really used to doing this and it's going to be weird. But I knew all along I was just there for motion capture. And, but I was also in my head, I was like, why don't you just get Stallone? Like, that's who you're having me talk like, but okay. And so they tried out a lot of voice actors. Well, and, so they and try, can you tell us who they tried? They never told me. Oh, really? But James is like, we tried out a lot of voice actors and then... They even did some, I think, probably like A-list people. And he was just like, nah, it's not working. And then they reached out to Stallone. And Stallone's like, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> he had played Judge Dredd. Yeah. And then wasn't he in some other Marvel thing? He was in Guardians 2. Right, that, right. He was in Guardians 2. He was a Ravager. He was another, the head of another Ravager faction. Right, right, right. I met him when we did Guardians 2. He would never remember that. But Ooh. at the premiere for Suicide Squad, I walked up to him. I was like... I, 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 I'm actually King Shark. I go, I did the running around. I was came to the motion capture, and he's like, oh, my God, that was so great, man. That must have been brutal, <laughs> running around in Panama. And I was yeah. like, yeah, it was uh, it was rough. A lot of fucking people die in Suicide Squad, obviously. Just about, <laughs> Gunn was like, fuck this, everyone's going to die. And even the, he even killed Rick Flagg, yeah, yeah. which was like, when I saw it, I was like, ooh, that's a that beloved was, character. Yeah, Flag is a great that was gnarly. Flag's a great character. Yeah. yeah but because the majority were in the the cold open, you know. Did you get to work with any of those guys who were there for like a minute? Like who like Pete Davidson dies? Like who else dies in the beginning? Uh, Rooker, Flu Rooker. Flula, Rooker, Pete Davidson, Mei Ling, who played Mongal, the oh, orange skin, she yeah, dies. Yeah. Jai gets killed, right. uh, Captain Boomerang. Yeah, you're, you're like, like, oh, Captain Boomerang's in this. He was a great character in the first one. One of my favorites. Let's kill him in the first that two was, minutes. That was it. That's <laughs> when I watched it. I was like, oh, James Gunn is doing Suicide Squad. Thank God. But then had to remind you at the end that, yeah, we're going to kill Rick Flagg. <laughs> and yeah. 
polka dot man who like by the end of that movie you're like this is probably my favorite character ever 100% David Desmalchian yeah. playing polka dot man he was amazing but I didn't think that that was like either a bad choice or surprising because I, no, I, I kept expecting him to die throughout the movie the Rick Flag one where I was like oh yeah. Did he always just think he was going to do like a spinoff or like Well, little did or... I know in that period while we were waiting for the movie to come out, he wrote Peacemaker. I think one thing that didn't sit right with James was that John Cena's character, Peacemaker, in the movie didn't have an arc. Like it starts off, he's a douchebag and it ends, he's a douchebag. We don't know why. He's just hated. And James was like, I want to figure out why he's so hated, why he's so bad. And so in eight weeks, he wrote eight episodes. That's crazy. Well, also, don't you think probably John himself seems like the nicest human being? The greatest, Right, yeah. and like, never met him, but I, you can see that immediately. Yeah, and yeah. also, like, you love him in everything. Like, so anything good. he does, he's so charming and funny. And, like, yeah. he played that character, and that character was very complex. Like, you liked him, and I think you never expected in Suicide Squad for him to have the evolution of, of being so, yeah. so much the antagonist. If you asked me what character should get their own spinoff, it would have been him or Polka Dot Man, which would have been funny. You want to kind of know how that came Prequel, about, too. Prequel, yeah, that would have been, sure. And maybe that'll happen. But sure. but with John's character, it is such an interesting yeah. thing because it's this idea yeah, yeah. of these sort of good guys who are also bad guys and yeah. kind of like exploring the tropes of what it means to be mm-hmm. good and bad and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I dig that so hard because the original superheroes especially someone like Batman is like, he's a tortured, fucked up person and you want to love him and you like want him to fight crime, but also like he's disturbed and he's doing it partially out of his own like fucking craziness. Vengeance. Vengeance and all that. uh, Yeah, I'm vengeance. Can you do a Robert Pattinson for me? I'm vengeance. I'm vengeance. I'm vengeance. I'm Um, a vampire and a bat. I'm a vampire bat. He's a fucking vampire bat. Wow. Holy shit. You solved it. There we go. There we go. Conspiracy. So, So the movie comes out it was it was successful. It did pretty well, yeah. Box office wise, I don't think it did great because no one was going yeah, to movies. That was a bad COVID moment. But Warner Brothers' main desire was to get people onto uh, HBO Max, which they did. Yeah. So yeah, it was successful. So then, when do you get the call that like, oh, we're gonna now do this other show? Like October. Like he is known. He had just not told me. James just calls me. He's like, hey, we're gonna do a spinoff. HBO Max Peacemaker. I was so shocked. So I'm thinking like a year from now, he's like, no, we're going to start shooting it in a few months. He's like, I just didn't want to tell you because I didn't want to get your hopes up if it didn't happen. And so he's, it's October and he's like, January we start shooting. And the show comes out and it's fucking awesome. It turned out good. Yeah, yeah and people yeah. are like really excited and they're doing another season of it. Yeah, yeah. That was already announced. I, I'm just curious, what is like your favorite, what's your favorite death ever in a movie, TV show. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind with me is Robert Shaw and Jaws like sliding down the, <laughs> the back of the boat into its, into its mouth. Blood and, and that was the screaming. 70s when blood was like bright red. Like. No, they used real blood in that movie. That was a real <laughs> shark. That's how Robert Shaw died. Yeah, nobody knows that really. <laughs> Um, it's sad. I also really like the Sonny Corleone and Godfather. The end of that movie when during the baby's christening when everyone's getting assassinated. Oh. That is fucking awesome. Fun fact, my first acting job ever, I was 12 years old and I was a featured extra in The Godfather Part 3. No. And I was in the... Way. I was in the church. The church where they filmed the christening at the end of one is the same church where they filmed 
Michael Corleone getting the medal, the like for his charitable works in Godfather yeah. Three. Yeah, yeah. So originally, I was supposed to be an altar boy. I was too tall or too big for the costume. I showed up and they were like, mm, but also funny, like Jewish altar boy, whatever. <laughs> and I kind of knew, I kind of knew what the Godfather was even at like 12 years old. I was, sure. a, I was like a, we were like geek kids. I was a geek kid, you know, like I, I knew shit and I saw every movie that I could get my hands on. And I remember thinking this is really cool. And then they're like, oh, well, we'll put him in the pew and make him a family member. So they gave me like a suit, like an Italian suit. They slicked my hair back. So like an Italian kid, I was 12 years old. They put me in the front row, the front fucking pew. And I was like terrified. And Next to me is like Talia Shire and like this. I, I recognize. I think I recognized her most from like Rocky. Of course, I was a little kid. I loved Rocky. Of course, loved Rocky. So, but the, they're all there, like all these people, and I'm like, oh, this is really intense. And then someone comes over and he goes, about two, three hours during the day into the day, the guy goes, "Are you SAG?" And I went, "No, I'm feel. I feel okay." asking me. I was like, I'm all right. They're like, no, 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 It's Are the union. Sad? Are you sad? <laughs> Are you sag? Are you sag? I didn't know what he meant. Of yeah. course you didn't. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know what SAG is, a SAG stands for the Screen Actors Guild, which is the union that actors belong to. But anyway, he goes, oh, well, uh, no, 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 no. Uh, get up. And he walks me to like the back row. Boo. But. You made the cut. Mm. There is a cut, well, the recent cut of Godfather 3, they, they changed it. So, like, that whole opening is, like, kind of edited out. There's, like, a very quick glimpse right, of it, right. which is weird. But in the original, you can see there is a blur that is me. And I can show you what that nice. is. Who that, that is my blurred face. The coolest thing about it, though, was when they moved me to the back row, it was where Pacino starts. It, that's his mark, oh, his, so his starting mark. watching him ramp up. He was so full in character. Like, he was hunched over, like, this weird— And again, yeah, yeah. I'm 12 years old. I kind of know who Al Pacino is. I think I knew—I'd uh, seen Dick Tracy, right? <laughs> I want Dick Tracy! Yeah. I was like, that yeah. guy? But basically, every time they would cut, Pacino would go back to that mark. And so I literally would, like—I'm sitting there, and I'm, like, looking at the corner of my eye and just staring at him. And he, at one point, he, like, looked at me, and I sort of was like, Meep. not looking at you— my mom was there with me the whole time. We would come early in the morning and stay yeah, till yeah. late at night. I was there almost like two weeks they were filming. Yeah. They were fucking going through money like nobody's. I'm sure they threw so much money at that production. But at the time, Pacino and Diane Keaton were secretly dating behind the scenes. And several times we saw them go into his trailer. No, that's Yeah, amazing. isn't that crazy? I have like weird memories of that. Do your parents get photos of you in your little suit? And... I think they must have it. They did that take a picture cool of my paycheck. Took that's a picture of it awesome. and they blew it up. I have it at home somewhere. It's like a Xerox of it. That's awesome. I do also love a death that's kind of like, why'd you fucking do that? Like uh, Scatman Crothers in Aww. Shining, where he's like, half the movie is him driving through the snow to get up there to help them. Literally gets into the hotel and within like a minute is just... Axe to the chest. Axe in Nicholson. the chest. Yeah. You're like, dude, at least let him try to punch you. Yeah, yeah. they set that whole thing up where it's like, it's going to be a showdown. It's like mano y mano, the good, like the angel versus the yeah, devil. Yeah. And it's just like, he's like, Danny! And you're like, that's awful. Yeah. The Shining. That was a good movie. Well, Steve Agee, star of many things sure. that have been and will be. You're the man, you're the legend. Love and, you. Um, I love you back yeah, so hard. Man. We'll do this again. I can't wait to hear all of these episodes. So many. Yeah. So many deaths. A lot of deaths, dude. It's a lot of death. It's yeah. kind of all about death these days. So let's just, yeah. um, you know, let's embrace it. And so we gather here today to mourn the temporary death of Kelly Maxwell, 
a no-nonsense, deadite killing machine. Had she remained dead, she would have been mourned by many. However, her death was short-lived, pun intended, and she roams the earth today, searching for her next kill. We also mourn the death of Jeff, spelled with a G, who was once a loyal member of the Yondu Ravager clan until he joined Taserface in a violent revolt. His pastimes included enjoying the company of lovebots on the pleasure planet Contraxia, humiliating his enemies, and drinking copious amounts of ale. Now we mentioned him in this episode, so we thought, hey, we gotta get him on the show. Polka Dot Man himself, David Dastmalchian, joins us in our next episode as we continue to explore the deaths in Suicide Squad. I was really struggling that day because I knew I was gonna die, but the character doesn't, so it's different, right? What was tricky for me was concocting a way to use my voice and my face and my body to reflect a kind of almost ecstatic, like religious joy of like, I found my purpose. Abner doesn't know he's getting smushed and to manufacture that is really hard. By the time I was in my late teens, I had formed pretty intense addictions and untreated mental unwellness. And I ended up becoming, you know, a full-time addict. And then I struggled with suicidal ideation a lot. Playing Dead is hosted by Michael Nathanson. Hey, that's me. Produced by Charlie Webster. Written and produced by Jill Marie Hoffman. Edited by Aaron Florence. Executive producers Charlie Webster and yours truly, Michael Nathanson. Special thanks to Kyle Epler and Stephen Sletton. Produced by Lionsgate Sound and Magic Scope. Lionsgate Sound, engineered by Pilgrim Media Group. <laughs>